Welcome to the future, the digital version of the digital client worshipping podcast known as the Arena Craft Podcast. I am one of your hosts, jacking in direct into the matrix, Arjuna, the other co-host, jacking in, getting used to these new environs after a little time away in Zion, co-host of the podcast, Covert Go Blue. What's going on, my friend? Ready Player Two. God, that sequel book was horrible. We don't need to get into that. Um, (laughs) We really don't. (laughs) I'm always player two on the podcast, though, because you are the architect. You're the originator. We're going 1,200 years into the future of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Dude, the last time we talked about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty was right at the start of the Arjuna Award show, and most of it was gushing about land art. Well... That was just the appetizer, baby. Yeah, that's also like ancient history by now. This is early modern Kamigawa that we're talking about, but now we're getting into the meat. This is like the contemporary business right here. I am stoked. I love the flavor of this set. Magic in the future, it turns out, is something that I was always hungry for and never realized it. And I think I'm not alone in that opinion. How are you feeling so far just with the overall futureness of it? I've spent a lot of time watching like the reveal stream and stuff with just my jaw like hanging open like, oh, I want this card in my life. I want this art. And I'm not usually a person who totally gagas over the art. But as I've gotten more into the MTG collecting stuff in recent sets and I've started collecting like the foil sets, which is a project I'm working on. Now I'm like looking at these and I'm already imagining what it's going to be like to get my full art foil alternate many of these cards in the mail because the art blows me away. The mix of like anime with steampunk with just Japanese culture and what I remember from Kamigawa. It's hitting me in all the like pleasure zones. I'm here for it. I'm along for the ride. I wasn't around when the original Kamigawa was released, but as a magic player who enjoys products such as Mystery Booster, I've kind of gotten to see them come back around. Also getting into Commander has helped me to learn about some of the cards in those previous sets. And I just dig it. I like. I am an original Kamigawa fan. And so seeing this stuff come out the second time, it's kind of like when Shadows Over Innistrad was released. I got to experience Innistrad myself, like for the first time in an authentic way. And so I'm super hyped to be doing the same thing with Kamigawa. Yeah, what are we, 20 years removed from Kamigawa? That's most of the uh, boomers from that generation have died off or discovered how to do something besides magic with their lives. So an entire generation is going to get introduced to Kamigawa. Magic was a very different game. I wouldn't call it like the lifestyle brand it is today. Uh, They're pushing it to the max and we've got cards to talk about and they look sweet. I'm happy to jump in and just get right to it if you are. Absolutely. So just uh, kicking it back and forth, like passing a basketball in a drill. I'm going to start the party with, we're going to go to the Planeswalkers that have been revealed just in the last few days. The Planeswalkers, as far as the lore goes, always kind of shape what's going on in the set. There are main characters. They were created to be avatars for the user. And this first one is going to break some hearts Hearts were breaking all over the world when they revealed this one because this planeswalker is Tamio, the completed sage. Completed spelled C O M P L E A 
T-E-D. It is not a typo. It is spelled that way to represent the state of when a Phyrexian reaches a level of completedness. It is completely a mechanical, all machine taken over. No longer like any living flesh. It's a machine. A soul in a machine body. Tamiyo has completed the transition to the metaverse. So that's really what we're seeing here. Yep. And Tamiyo, I don't think people saw it coming, man. Tamiyo's our friend. Tamiyo helped fight Emrakul on Innistrad. Yeah. Yeah. She enjoys a good library. I mean, who doesn't respect that? Yeah, just a bookworm, you know, but nobody knew. I think that there's still some question. Was this her idea? Is this the doings of another planeswalker who's in the set? Mm. But anyway, this completed card, I feel honestly for anybody who is not watching the YouTube video of this because one, the art, two, a lot of words on these cards, as has become the norm. So hang in there. I'm going to try to explain this card. It is two generic and a green and a blue and a... Hybrid green blue Phyrexian oh, mana. I never thought I would see them print Phyrexian cards ever again. So, yeah, it is either four mana and you pay two life, or it's five mana and the extra mana is paid with a green or a blue. This is a five loyalty planeswalker. I better give you the downside. So, the Phyrexian mana, it now has. The completed ability on the card, which represents a potential downside if you pay the two life. And the potential downside if you choose to pay two life instead of the mana is that this enters with two less loyalty counters. You can have a four mana planeswalker with three loyalty, or you can have a five mana planeswalker with five loyalty. So pretty big difference. Yeah, just to cut in there, I, I love this particular aspect of the design of this card. We've seen a number of planeswalkers with X in the mana cost. We've also seen some Planeswalkers with Kicker. I've generally felt like both of those designs seem just like a little awkward to me. And I just like, I wasn't super about it. And this one seems, in my opinion, I mean, I haven't played the card, but this design looks like kind of the Goldilocks zone in terms of that. I think Phyrexian Mana needed a downside to come back because it was broken. Still is. Too many free spells. And how do you ever put that on Arena? Like, just hold priority. Everybody's in full control from turn one when Gutshot is in the format. You know, Mental Misstep, Getaxian Probe. Uh, These Phyrexian mana free cards, they were too much. They really did kind of make so many things in the format irrelevant. Having a significant downside to the card, I think that makes a difference. I do not mind Phyrexian mana appearing in this way. Anyway, they probably want to know the ability. Shall I continue? Please. All right. Plus one, tap up to one target artifact or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. A little bit of protect yourself freeze action. Minus X, exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. So it's not a reanimation jutsu. It kicks it out of the graveyard and makes a token that's a copy of it. And that, of course, if it gets bounced, goes away and there's feels bads and such. But it's interesting that it's any non-land permanent. It can be a planeswalker. It can be an artifact, enchantment, creature. The minus seven, <laughs> should you get there, is to create Tamio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast cost two less to cast and tap to draw a card. Really weird minus seven, right? It's It's not an emblem. You just make a token. And again, much like the uh, minus X, if somebody can bounce the token or destroy the token, you just kind of lost all that loyalty and commitment. But is this a new direction for emblems? 
emblems, so, emblems are kind of lame, aren't they? Yeah, you can't interact with them, which is horrible. I think they contribute to that feeling of planeswalkers are busted. Planeswalkers don't belong in magic. They essentially break the rules of magic. And it is just so gnarly. Like when your opponent ultimates to fairy, it's like reality is being sucked through your eyeballs. There's just nothing you can do about it. This card is really, really interesting. It's actually kind of funny because the first thing that I want to do with this card is just like put it into my Bant control deck in Alchemy. Like envision this, CGB. You're playing in the mirror against Azorius control and they drop their key to the archive and you just slam Tamiyo and you just nope out their key, right? With the plus one. And then when they kill your key, you exile it from the graveyard and you just get it back. What's not to love about this, right? Oh, yeah, a card that's good with key to the archive. The <laughs> nerds are excited. Yeah, yeah, we really needed that. <laughs> yeah, right? we so, needed key to the archive to get better. Maybe if there was a planeswalker that we could play with key to the archive that was good, and now we have a planeswalker that can resurrect the planeswalker that was good with key to the archive. I'm talking about Teferi, of course. We have completed the trifecta. So that plus one, though, I think is better than people will think it is. The Teferi you mentioned actually has the ability to tap artifacts and creatures. The big difference though is that they untap as normal. So that this is targeting doesn't. And that is going to feel really na- like key to the archive specifically. If you drop your key and then your opponent taps it down and it's not going to untap during your upkeep, that's a massive loss. So, And there are plenty of things like creatures and artifacts where you're really going to feel this. If this card gets popular... Teferi who slows the sunset gets better because it untaps yes. that creature or that artifact that Tamio taps. <laughs> yep, very true. Very true. <laughs> it's so messed up. We needed that card to keep getting better. I don't know. This is a sidetrack. I haven't talked much about the meta since I came back. I am 15 and 1 on ladder right now with Esper Control with four Teferis and four keys. But that was the first combo that I saw potential for with the Alchemy release, and I went hard on it. I am here to attest. That, that combo is every bit as good as it looks. And Tamio's yeah. ready to play along for sure. That minus X, man, there's so many things you can reanimate there. It says permanent, yeah. right? And we're going to get to it, but there are sagas coming back in this set. That's there are true. sagas already in the format. Like you can get back a binding the old gods with Tamio completed sage. You can indeed. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that indeed. is crazy. If you're doing any kind of reanimator shenanigan, this is going to be great. Like you pointed out, you can freaking get back a planeswalker with this. That's pretty sweet. I mean, any turn so, where you play two Planeswalkers in one turn cycle is pretty strong. Pretty this is a really cool build-around card, I would say. It is. Now, so let's talk about the downsides. Apart from tapping down an attacking creature, it doesn't do that good of a job of actually controlling your opponent's board. So this is going to not fare that well against creatures. You're going to need a lot more support if you're going to try to win against creatures playing a card like this. The minus X, you actually have to have something juicy to reanimate with it. So neither side of normal abilities on this planeswalker is going to be like particularly busted or particularly terrifying for your opponent to see unless you have some kind of cool combo so i think if you're playing a deck which is planning to have something really juicy in the graveyard to reanimate when this comes down then this could be a very scary planeswalker but other than that i'm not immediately seeing reason to really worry about it yeah, on its own, uh, it's not going to end any games itself, I don't think. It requires some teamwork, and it's probably like more of a two of than a four of, but we'll see. Now, this card, I actually posted about this card on Twitter because I'm very impressed and a little bit scared. And also, what a badass character. The Wanderer returns. Now, we were all 
curious, right? Because it was such a cryptic planeswalker the first time it showed up in War of the Spark. God, what were people speculating? There was like another planeswalker or maybe even like Nick. Weren't people speculating this was like an Elder Dragon or something? Emrakul. Oh, Emrakul. That's what it was. They were speculating okay. that the Wandering Emperor was somehow Emrakul brought back in human form. Yeah. Which I don't I don't really understand where that particular line of reasoning came from, but I'm sure that some people were very convinced. Can, did you complete the war... Haha, <laughs> puns. Here we go. Did you complete the War of the Spark lore with the, like, Forsaken story that came out? I don't follow it. I yeah. know. I know something about the Wandering Emperor that most people don't know. It's going to be fun. Are you going to spoil it for us? Or Hell no. Are we gonna... You're going to okay. figure it out for yourselves. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. And here's why. Because I'm an old man and the old generation demands the young generation go through pain and suffering to get what the thing that they want. And there is no better definition of pain and suffering than, and I'm sorry to the author, reading the Forsaken War of the Sparks story. I have no trouble in believing <laughs> it that. Is, it is what? the worst, one what? of the worst books I've ever paid money for in my life. A magic book being bad? What is this? I would read Ready Player Two three more times again before <laughs> I'd touch that book. Well, if it has anything to do with The Wandering Emperor, I'm interested because I'm just super enamored of this Planeswalker. So let's get into it. This is a, a white Planeswalker, two white, white for a legendary Planeswalker at Mythic. This comes in with three loyalty. Now here's where it starts to get really interesting CGB because this Planeswalker has flash we're just breaking new territory with planeswalkers with each set that comes out and this is like terrifying i'm actually terrified of this card i mean a flash planeswalker holy crap and then here's another sweet thing as long as the wandering emperor entered the battlefield this turn you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant so not only do you get to resolve this on any opponent's turn but you also get to do the first activation on their turn as well and you do get to do it at instant speed, which could come up. That's just really cool. So what are you actually doing with this Planeswalker? So the plus one is you put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn. It has a minus one, which is create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. And you have a minus two, which is exile target tapped creature. You gain two life. This Planeswalker is powerful. Three loyalty. A little fragile. I would say the, mm. my first instinct is it's not very good against a play with fire or burn spells if those are common in the format, like ways to just throw direct damage around, but a very versatile. It reminds me of Restoration Angel when it was new and Archangel Avacyn when she was new of how do you attack when your opponent has the four open mana? I mean, if you attack with a 1-1, one, one, they can make a 2-2 two, two and block it. If you attack into like their... 2-2 two, two creature, they can suddenly have a 3-3 three, three first strike, or they can just straight up exile your attacker, and they have a Planeswalker down. It's not quite a Settle the Wreckage, but it, it's going to make people think about attacks in a way that Settle the Wreckage did, and that nothing really has since. Agreed. To get it out of the way, I don't necessarily think this card is busted, and, you know, it's a 4-mana white card, like it's got a pretty high bar to clear for playability. So all that having said, let's explore some of the really powerful scenarios with this card. Let's say that you're playing against a control opponent. You can flash this in at the end of their turn, make a 2-2, and if they didn't counter it, you can untap and make another 2-2. And yep. then you still have a Planeswalker. 
that's kind of a nightmare scenario for your control opponent. If they counter it on their turn, that means that you're likely untapping and being able to slam something else, which is not where a control mage wants to be. They do not want for their like aggressive opponent to be playing on their turn. That's really tough for them. But even if they do answer it, so you might slam something else. If they don't answer it, they're in a world of trouble. You could be attacking them for three that next turn as well. It's just like so many possible permutations of the abilities on this card. The samurai has vigilance, by the way, so it can uh, get in there for damage and defend the emperor. That's totally. real deal. Okay, now let's talk about in the aggro matchup, which is where this card is really going to shine. So you swing in with one or more creatures. Your opponent has the option to exile one of them. They have the option to block one of them. They have the option to make one of their existing creatures block very favorably in that combat with basically a combat trick, plus one, plus one, and first strike. Your opponent playing this card can choose whichever ability feels the best in the situation and then have a very strong likelihood of untapping with a Planeswalker. That's terrifying. I think I would be most terrified of this card if I was planning to do something like tap out for a really strong, hasty creature. So if you're like a Goldspan Dragon gamer or if you're an Olvenwald Oddity gamer, CGB, can you imagine just how wrecked you get if on turn four you tap out for an Oldenwald Oddity and your opponent slams a Wandering Emperor in the middle of your combat step? If she's into taxidermy, there's going to be a lot of giant beast moose heads on her wall. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yes, you know? indeed, You're going to be like, oh yeah, I guess Ulvenwald Oddity isn't quite a questing beast because vigilance would go a long way in that scenario. All the big hasties now aren't vigilant like questing beast. So they're all getting exiled by this very brutal, very brutal. Yeah. What do you have to add? Like what's going through your mind? I want to play it in control, but I honestly think it needs a little bit of a creature shell to make those attacking situations even more difficult for the opponent. Because if this can come down and plus and survive, then the next turn plus again, like it's such a hard creature to deal with. And that's without making a samurai. You're just getting in for so much damage. That sequence where you block and kill their thing with your underpowered thing, like say a professor of symbology, and then you untap and then plus again and you hit for four is a tempo swing that I think is hard to find right now. There aren't a lot of ways to completely turn a game around in Magic right now aside from like the Meat Hook Massacre. This is a very interesting card and I'm not sure exactly which shell is perfect for it. I don't think it goes into white aggro. In Alchemy, Inquisitor Captain eats a ton of space so maybe like one or two can get into a deck like that. So we're looking at mid-range and maybe semi-controlling shells. And when we're looking at mid-range and we have powerful game-swinging options, that's where mid-range might be a deck again. And that's the kind of thing mm -hmm. that you want to see and be able to say, this could be mid-range. No, I totally agree. I want to live in the format in which this is a good card because it's, just, it's very interesting and it is. It's kind of the Goldilocks zone for magic. Now, they took it a little far in War of the Spark. That was kind of mid-range Planeswalker hell format. <laughs> We're not likely to get there again anytime soon. I think the Wanderer is really sweet. For those examples where you're a white aggro deck going up against a larger aggro deck like Mono Green and being worried, that's a very typical matchup in which you lose, right? Where you're the smaller aggro deck. And so this could be like a total breaker card in those kind of a matchup. So I could potentially 
potentially see mono white bringing in one or two copies of this against a deck like mono green, for example. It could be a useful sideboard card. We're going to read Tezzeret, the Betrayer of Flesh. This is a four mana Planeswalker, two blue blue. It has four loyalty, mythic, and the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate is the passive. So a passive that in a 1v1 game cycle could conceivably save you four mana every time around the sun. And then there are three abilities. Plus one, draw two cards, then discard two cards, unless you discard an artifact card. Minus two, target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base power and toughness four four. And then minus six, you get an emblem. So the death of emblems is exaggerated. You get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. That is a tick-tick emblem, by the way. Four loyalty coming in, minus six for that emblem. That is a tick-tick emblem before every tapped artifact draws you a card. What? Well, we all knew that Tezzeret belongs in like artifact decks and potentially artifact combo decks. The thing that interests me most about this card is what are artifacts that have activated abilities that cost mana that we're interested in buffing with this card? Because that's where you're going to get really busted stuff. And here's the other thing is that this does not say that this cannot reduce it to zero, right? Like some of these effects still require you to pay mana for something, but if you have an artifact that costs two or less mana to activate, you get it for free. Uh, yeah. I actually have not done my homework with this card, CGB. Are there any artifacts that jump out to you where when you reduce the activation cost, they become absolutely busted? The first one that jumps out to me is in Historic. It's called Mirage Mirror. It's from Amonkhet. It's a three mana artifact, and for mm. two open-ended as the activated ability, it becomes a copy of target artifact, creature, enchantment, or land until end of turn. That's, you can do thing. that on both turns, and you can basically at will switch it into a land, into a creature, into an enchantment, and it can copy anything on the board, not just your board. Uh, That's the first thing that I want to try with Tezzeret in Historic. And I do assume that... a combo shell waiting to happen. There's got to be something you can go crazy with. It feels like there has to be something more to it. So that's the first place I want to go play. And then aside from that, you're just on the lookout during spoiler season. We haven't had an artifact set in a while. This is the artifact set now. If I'm doing this right, I believe you can sacrifice your treasure vault for free, you know, because it costs two less to activate, so you can sacrifice it for a treasure for zero. That card gets better if you can do it. Yeah, artifact lands are kind of scary. So yeah, um, this is a thing where you just got to peruse and you get every artifact and you've got to think about the artifacts that are entering the format. And there's another artifact set this year. The Brothers War is the last set of this year. And if it's not artifact themed, then I don't understand magic lore. Is an equip cost an activated ability? It is. Okay, so equips just got a heck of a lot better. If you have some kind of equipment combo, boy, this could be really big for that. I think you're right about free equips. That's kind of wow. That's juicy, right? So, I mean, obviously, like equipment doesn't typically go into like an artifact control deck, but no, who knows what kind of equipment we might see. So there's like a lot of possibilities with this card. Now, the plus one is like in any artifact deck, that plus one is a pretty bonkers ability, like draw two, discard an artifact. As long as you have enough artifacts, like that is just money in the bank. And it does a fairly good job of protecting itself. So it turns just like some dorky two mana cantripping, like a 
prophetic prism or whatever you put in there, it turns that into a 4-4, which is a no-joke creature that can defend Tezzeret. It's signposted that you're supposed to be playing this card in that kind of deck, so you're probably going to have one of those. I kind of love this with that pirate ship, the one-mana 7-Eleven. Mm, I mean, that's the, just the a dreadnought. Wombo. Yeah, the Dreadnought. Like, that's a Wombo card. Do we have that card on uh, Arena? I think we do. Phyrexian Dreadnought? Uh, 7-Eleven. It's the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Phyrexian Dreadnought is a one-man 12 Is it just called Pirate Ship? Uh, No, it's not. Anyway, the the price is right on that little interaction. The only thing people want to know about is Colossal Plow. That's all they care about. By the way, it doesn't say till end of turn. So if anybody was missing it on the minus two, it's a permanent transformation. This can just permanently turn on in a Seeker's Chariot. Can attack for itself. Yippee-ki-yay, Chariot. Let's go. You're going to need a reason to jam this card, right? This goes into a deck which is basically butters all the sides of the bread of this card. But once that is happening, it looks pretty scary to me. Agreed. This card is cool. You're going to yeah, take us so to the Kami I'll, War. I'll take us through the Kami War. Da, 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 da. Sagas are back. And this is a mythic one. And this is a five color mythic one. So holy crap, this is a special magic card. This card ate its Wheaties when it got up this morning. Six mana, five of which are colored in different colors. Got to do something really great. The first chapter is exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls. A very solid start to a saga. The second chapter, return up to one other target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, and then each opponent discards a card. All right, so this is like the uh, Ashiok ability, kind of. And then the third chapter, you exile this saga, return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. So CGB, we have sagas with backsides. As if mm-hmm. magic cards needed to get any more complicated. They were like, what if we took an enchantment, which already has three effects, and and then we made it leave you with like a whole other card that has whole other abilities and whatever. So let's see what the backside of this card is. It comes back as an enchantment creature, a dragon spirit. Pretty badass looking dragon, by the way. Oh, Kagachi made manifest. This is a 6-6. Six, six. It has all colors. Okagachi Made Manifest is all colors. It has flying and trample, so it's a flampler. And whenever Okagachi Made Manifest attacks, defending player chooses a non-land card in your graveyard. Recur- return that card to your hand. Okagachi Made Manifest gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the mana value of that card. Pretty commandery looking card to me. What are you talking about? Commander? Dude, six mana? That's right when the world tree kicks in. This is easy to play. Mm, I mean, yeah, that is a combo. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know. This card does kind of have Timmy Jank over the top written on it, but it also has, if people find a way to Niv-Mizzet in Historic, why can't they have one of these? I it mean, should Giganta? be castable. Jagantha can help you uh, play this mm-hmm. if you need to. It's cool, right? I want a Yori in it. I want to bounce it with the new Tefori. <laughs> Just get it back and play it again and again. But hey, if you ever get to that chapter three, you get a 6-6 six, six flying trample. And that is one of the new rubs of the sagas in this set. When they hit chapter three, they flip over and they turn into creatures. And that's interesting it kind of bakes a threat into all of these so if you have a defensive one you also have a threat at the end of it if you have an aggressive one you just have aggression on aggression on more aggression lots of cool abilities lots of opened up play space i think this card is going to be super niche at best when it comes to standard and alchemy but 
not unplayable. You only need a key to the archive and a little tricolor mana base like Esper has, and this thing could come down. I think that you're going to see more of it than I think you'd expect, but that's still not too much. This reminds me a lot of Elspeth Conker's death. It feels worse to me than Elspeth Conker's death, but who knows? One of the things you're kind of hinting at is that this is an easy card to underestimate. Yes, it's a very, very I think powerful so. card. I think, well, yeah. the first time one comes down, you're going to be like, look at this meme. Or, and then two turns later, you're going to be like, what's happening like, to me? Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. <laughs> Take us into the life of Toshiro Umazawa. There are a lot of these sagas, and these are the two that I added to the list to kind of summarize what these cards can do. So the life of Toshiro Umazawa, first of all, is a throwback to Umazawa's Jite, which is totally cool. So uh, this is a one in a black enchantment saga. It's an uncommon. Chapter one and two are the same, but they each involve three choices. So it's choose one of these three things. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, and you gain two life. These are the abilities of the GTA. Actually, if you had a plus one, plus one counter on the GTA, you could remove it to get these things. And GTA, for those of you not absolutely old folk boomers, was a completely dominant like it dominated the set, the format in a way that few things ever have. So this throwback is cool. Okay, on chapter three, you exile the saga and return to the battlefield transformed, and it is the memory of Doshiro, a 2-3 enchantment creature, human samurai, that is black, and you can tap it to pay one life and add a black mana to your mana pool. You may spend that mana only to cast an instant or a sorcery. It's a weird backside coupled with the front side. You think so? So we're basically looking at a deck which wants to be playing sagas, creatures, and instants and sorceries somehow. I could see this as part of a curve. There's probably something in mind they have. You play this on two, and then you do the thing, and then it comes back, and then there's a turn after that where like this is helping you to cast like some big instant or sorcery. I don't know. I'm just speculating. There's a black sorcery I'm itching to cast from this set that All we'll right. get to today, I hope. So maybe this helps. In the meantime, Blood on the Snow comes to mind as like ramping yeah. into that is often very important in the format because you're often taxed trying to do so by Thalia, Redane, and Elite Spellbinder, sometimes all at the same time. The amount of value here is crazy. A two mana two three that taps for a black mana that helps you ramp into instants and sorceries would be immediately like eyebrow raising if that were all the card is. But the card also has potential for real card advantage. If the opponent is playing X1s, this can kill up to two of them when it comes down on turn two, especially on the draw. If they are not, say you play an eye twitch. Well, your eye twitch now hits for three for a couple turns, which can really change the complexion of a game and how the opponent can proceed knowing that you can hit them harder than you used to if their life total is lower. Or if you're not sure what to do and your opponent's kind of aggressive, but you can't really kill their stuff, you can just Get some life. Just gain two life, gain two life, and then get your 2-3 who ramps you. So it's a ton of value in one card to me. I think it's better than Birth of Melitus, and that saw a lot of play in a pushed format. Oh, okay. Slow your roll. <laughs> Why? I'm, I'm I'm not sure about that. Why? Okay. So one of the big differences between this card and Birth of Melitus is, is that this card gets substantially worse the later in the game that you play it. If this is a card you're slamming on turn five or six. I mean, doesn't that apply to all two drops? Doesn't that apply to Birth of Melitus? I mean, you know this probably better than anyone. 
is that there are plenty of like white controlling decks where you're like, hell yeah, I'll go for hitting another land drop. The flaw on Birth of Melites is, is that you're basically drawing another land, which is okay. It could be worse in some decks. Some decks just want to hit four or five lands and stay there. But I guess what I'm saying is that this card has to be good in your deck later than turn two to like really be a banger. It's an interesting deck building challenge. And I think that you raise some of the better scenarios like having cheap flying creatures. So maybe it's like an aggressive deck with a drain late game. This could really shine. So I'm definitely not poo-pooing the card. I'm just saying that it's a card that could look very good in certain situations and matchups, but could look really bad if you like rip it off the top on turn six. I can accept that, but I still think that applies to most two drops. See, one of the problems with this is you don't get the creature until like the third turn. And yeah. that could really matter. So for example, if you're playing this in any kind of a stack deck, you do not want to rip this off the top when you have an empty board and you're staring at that deadly dispute in your hand and you're just like, why did I make the life choices I made? You probably did something wrong if you're staring at a deadly <laughs> dispute at that phase. Just saying. I think overall, like, I agree this is an interesting card. For me, it's going to be hard to find it at home. Okay, I don't think it'll be that hard. That, that's my take. Very versatile card, and I agree. I mean, if you get all the sides of your bread buttered, it's going to feel pretty good. Let's take it into our first legendary dragon of the set. Yay, these... dragon talk. Cards are good dragon. to draw on turn six. Let's Yay. go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cards that we hope are good to draw on turn six. Jeez. This one, Ao the Dawn Sky. Ao. That was unnecessary. Let's continue. Listen what I say. All the uh, Chili Peppers fans in the chat just had an orgasm. Three white, white, legendary creature, dragon, spirit, flying, and vigilance. This is a 5 4. When Ao the Dawn Sky dies, choose one. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put any number of non land permanent cards with total amount of value four or less from among them onto the battlefield put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order with upcoming and then uh, the other option is put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or vehicle all right so that's pretty terrifying this looks pretty solidly positioned to be like the top end in a white creature deck that probably plays relatively cheap creatures or tries to get on the board quick and maybe go white when it's not getting exiled and it's in a deck like that yeah it looks pretty terrifying a blanket statement for the dragon cycle first of all they're dragon spirits they're mythics they're exciting they're callbacks to the cycle from original kamigawa that had these cards and they saw play back then but magic was a lot different of course we're going to talk about them they're exciting all of these can get hit by vanishing verse and it's sad all of these can nice. get hit by fading hope and it's annoying all of these can get countered and it's wham they can all get taken out by the Wanderers. We, so just remember that. Yep. Too. We are very aware of these things. And if that means you don't want to craft them, hear about them, talk about them, or laugh at people who like them, then, you know, go just tune out for a minute, okay? It's a cool dragon. And when it dies, it does stuff. And if we're in a Doomblade world, these cards are very good because targeted removal really affects them. Another thing that can make the dragons go from being all these sad things happen to it all the time to suddenly they're interesting is what happened to them when they were in standard before, especially in white and green. 
the card Greater Good existed. You could play this four-mana enchantment that was an open-ended sacrifice a creature to draw cards equal to its power and then discard three cards. So you would play your dragon after Greater Good, you'd sacrifice it as soon as you wanted to, draw a bunch of cards, and also get the death ability. I don't know what's going to exist, but if there's an open-ended sack outlet so that if this resolves, you can have that death ability... These cards become very relevant very quickly, especially if it's something as good and useful as greater good. So that's still a good reason to keep an eye on these. And this white one specifically, ability that if you have a board, now your board is epic. If you don't have a board, you rebuild a board by getting mana value four or less and just slamming it on the battlefield. That's good stuff. Cards like this go up substantially in value. Like, let's say that you're playing against a mono red deck or a mono green deck, and they're just exile encounter is not part of the equation you're not going to feel great about blizzard brawling this stuff even if you get four mana differential in how you interacted you know you might do this pre-combat and look at your opponent's board and suddenly realize i can't attack anymore could be surprisingly relevant in matchups like that i think the way that the format is currently in standard and alchemy you're looking at sideboard cards in best of three play or grizzled hunt master targets but i think there are some cards and types of cards that can be printed that make these serious players yeah no i totally agree like not to be dismissed offhand this is no old gnawbone this could be a real card shall i give you the next real card of the dragon cycle yeah my heart just sang when they revealed these two together the white one and the blue one just a little blue and white dragon action i'm going with kiri by mr mister i think it was uh the swirling sky and this is a legendary dragon spirit mythic 6-6 flying with ward 3. And when the swirling sky dies, choose one of these two abilities. Return any number of target non-land permanents with total mana value 6 or less to their owner's hands. Or mill 6 cards, then return up to 2 instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. Ooh. So you can either uh, kind of draw two instants or sorceries with selection. That sounds like a CGB thing. Or you can bounce a whole bunch of things on the board. Also a CGB thing. We got a dragon yeah. for CGB, baby. No, this really is like, as you are reading that second ability, I was already envisioning you just like demolishing some salty opponent with this card. This is one of those cards where like, it doesn't look very good. But then, like, in certain situations, it just completely dominates you. You know, if you're good at building decks, such as you are, CGB, I'm sure you could come up with plenty of fun shells to put this into. It's for me. This card was made for a CGB video. Absolutely. So, excited about it. A lot of things we said about the dragons when we talked about the last one are going to apply to this, too. And I just need an easy sack outlet, man. That's all I really need. Just something easy. I'd almost play Witch's Oven to play these dragons. You know what I love about this? Usually when we're looking at sack creatures, we want them to be cheap, right? We want them to cost one mana and give us a little bit of extra value. I love how we're playing these six mana legendary dragons and immediately thinking like, how can we just freaking put this in an oven, dude? Yeah, how we get the sucker in the graveyard? Let's go. But one thing that you're highlighting is that, yeah, Witch's Oven actually does make these dragons a lot better because if your opponent does happen to point like an exile spell at something, you're like, nope, this thing's going to the graveyard and I'm getting my value. If something like that does happen, especially if your opponent paid the ward on this, right? And then you just like village rights it or whatever, <laughs> they're going to feel really bad about that. <laughs> Get back the village rights. 
if you <laughs> want to the village, right? why not so, I mean, we'll do this again i got all day just saying i mean you're not wrong maybe we should go all over right. some more dragons while we're on let's, the subject do it all right so this next one kyodai soul of kamigawa this is another white one so that's kind of interesting this i'm getting cupcake tyrant vibes just from the art sorry sorry cgb three and a white three three legendary creature dragon spirit this one has flash and flying when Kyodai's soul of Kamigawa enters the battlefield, another target permanent gains indestructible for as long as you control Kyodai, right? This is like the world's flashiest and most expensive bodyguard. And it is. wait, there's more. You can pay rainbow, one of each color of mana, as many times as you like. And Kyodai gets plus five, plus five until end of turn. All right. This card just got weird. It really um, did, right? You know why they put that on there, CGB? I do. So that... This can be the commander of your five-color deck. That's right. A five-color commander identity card in the Kamigawa set so that you can, you five-color rainbow players can go off. You miss Golos? Try this one. Why not? I mean, this is going to be a wrecking if you're trying to, you know, kill your opponent's creatures and whatever. This does kind of have that resto angel effect. They're creatures or they're yeah, planeswalkers does, or they're artifacts yeah. or they're lands or they're enchantments. Okay, so how does this work, though? Let's say someone's attacking your planeswalker and you flash this in and give your planeswalker indestructible what what does that even do i think the loyalty counters still get removed which yeah. i believe either the planeswalker dies. goes away right then or it goes away at end of turn at the end of turn yeah one so, of the two so that's not really gonna work i mean it doesn't yeah, save it from an attack but saves it mm -hmm. from hero's downfall type effects saves it from Hour of Promise, Planar Cleansing type board wipey effects saves it from Fateful Absence, which I guess is a pretty popular one at the moment. I like that it's not until end of turn. I like that it's just there until this creature leaves the battlefield. That's something that might be easy to miss about yeah. this, but you gotta kill this thing first, basically. Yep, you gotta go through Kyodai before you can get rid of permanent X. Uh, the ability to defend like artifacts and enchantments is probably not trivial either. So think about how terrifying this is. Let's say that you're playing like some combo deck or some deck that relies very heavily on a particular busted permanent to stay alive. So let's say, oh, my opponent resolved this combo piece artifact or whatever. I need to kill that thing right now. So you point a spell at it and they flash Kyodai in and protect it. So they just blanked one spell. Now you're going to have to go through Kyodai before you even get a shot at killing that thing again yeah so this thing could eat three removal spells in order for you to have to deal with whatever that problematic permanent is that could be really good unfortunately is not great at helping you out against like board wipe i think it saves the creature once it's yeah okay then it dies yeah but and then the creature loses indestructible but survived the the happening you could say yeah, i guess it's exactly. not terrible especially if it's like a crush the weak type board wipe that doesn't kill a kyodai so i mean this is reading like i don't think this sees main deck play but i could be wrong i think it's a commander card for the most part I'd be surprised to see a lot of it in standard based on the three, three stats, but it's cool and it's useful. Kind of excited about that myself. It's also a dragon and a spirit, which are two types that are going to pop off in this set because spirits yeah. weren't quite playable, but there are a lot of cards like, is it Patrician Geist that makes spirits cost one less to cast and gives them all oh plus gosh. one plus one? Yeah, there are these spirit cards that just really haven't mattered, quite frankly, because they didn't seem to apply. Yeah, it is. Oh, it spells from your graveyard cost one less to cast. Now that's a little mm. worse. But anyway, 
stuff that influence spirits, stuff that influences dragons. We know that there's dragon stuff out there. Dragons is a big time deck in alchemy, at least pre-nerf. It's going to be good. All right. You want to hit this next one for us? The next one I've got is Junji, the Midnight Sky. This is a cool freaking looking dragon. The art is like, yes. Uh, Three and a black, black, five, five legendary creature, dragon spirit, mythic, flying and menace. Good luck blocking this one. And when it dies, choose one. Each opponent discards two cards and loses two life or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and you lose two life. It doesn't say your battlefield. It says a battlefield. Jinju is coming for whatever Jinju wants to get five cost or under anyway. Or no, not even. You can get a freaking Praetor with this. I can get your Elish Norn from your graveyard. Okay, we're taking them to the top rope and giving them the people's elbow. This one's... I'm excited about this card. And it's in black, where sacrificing a creature is a thing you often want to do. Let's go back to our, like, mono green, mono red scenario. If your opponent slams this card, especially ahead of schedule, like if they ramped off a treasure or something like Uh, that... Turn one, Shambling Gas. Turn two, Deadly Dispute. Turn three, Junji. That's what I'm saying. Your opponent slams this on turn three and you're looking at your hand and you're like, wait, so if I blizzard brawl that thing, I lose my blizzard brawl and I have to discard two cards. That's an ouch, dude, right there. That's assuming you have a troll to blizzard brawl it with. Like it's a five five. This thing's big. I mean, you as a control mate, your opponent slams Junji and you look at that removal spell in your hand and you're like, Ooh, three for one. That feels nice. (laughs) It better be vanishing first. It better not be fateful absence. Four for one? Yeah. (laughs) This could just be very brutal to have to play again. Assuming there's no open, clean sack outlets available, like you can just have your village rights. You can have your deadly dispute with this card, and it's brutal. And then you can get it back with blood in the snow, and you can make them go through all this again. It was hard to find a creature you wanted to play in these mono black decks that wasn't better than Lolth, but... Yeah, I definitely want to play this probably with some wealth and some of this, but mm-hmm. I definitely want to play this one. Question. If you legend rule these things, do you get a death trigger? You do. All right. You do. So, I mean, if you just want to empty your <laughs> opponent's hand or let's say your opponent happened to, I don't know, maybe they're playing reanimator and you're like, Ooh, I'll take an Ulamog or whatever. <laughs> you know, you just come boom. to Papa. Yeah, let's go. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, that Immerstrom yeah. predator is an open ended sack outlet. That's also oh. a dragon. That's a really good point, CGB. Combine one questionably playable card with another, and let's see where we go from there. Questionably playable. (laughs) No respect for the Predator. I I got no respect for the Predator. I'll be open about that. If it's a four-mana dragon, this guy just won't touch it. (laughs) Townraiser Tyrant is his only bay. I do have a soft spot for five-cost dragons. This is another one of those cards where your opponent's going to play it, and in Constructed, you'll be like, ha! Look at this play cue Mima, you know, and then like a couple turns later, you're just crying. Into How did I lose? <laughs> <laughs> Their village rights drew them two and lost me two, and I discarded two, and then they just got it back. This next card looks like it might have been a dragon one day. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> we have another prayer to our people. This is what and your uh, Jinju is stealing right here. Jin gets Taxius, Progress, Tyrant, someone who just wants to keep us in the past, I guess. I don't really know what that name means, but anyway. Or maybe who wants to own Progress, you know, like Google. They were scared Um, to say Progressive Tyrant. 
Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Look at this Marxist over here. For the the affordable price of five blue blue, you get to have this legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, on your side. It's a five five, so it's, I'm not impressed yet. Whenever you cast an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, copy that spell. Ooh, key to the archive, baby. Oh god! You may choose. <laughs> <laughs> new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability triggers only once each turn. It's a, a hell of a reanimator target for sure. Hell of a cheat into play target. Cheating yeah. this into play or cheating a copy of this into play through some kind of reanimation sneaky jutsu or whatever is this thing on the board requires a very certain set of answers or you are going to die to it because it does counter on any turn like the first instant or sorcery that might try to target it and then you have to have another one and assuming they did that you already got your two for one if you're somehow able to do it in a way that you also get to cast any instant or sorcery or artifact and you get double effect from it there's a little bit of a leer with a stocked graveyard feel on jingitaxius progress tyrant it's a scary card. It's probably a Timmy card, but there's no way I'm not playing this in Commander on week one. I'm straight to the top rope in my playgroup. <laughs> We're oh, going to make some enemies. This loves a key to the archive before you've cast it and after you've cast it. It does. So this set, not making that card look any worse, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think standard, unless it's reanimated or snuck into play somehow. I In standard, Holebreaker Horror is still going to like run that town and Lear isn't yep. scuffed there, so Lear can keep doing its thing. But th- though this is another card that's happy that Divide by Zero isn't around because Divide by Zero, yeah. you know, could have bounced it. But in Alchemy, I mean, it's scary, man. Perhaps not competitive scary, but fun scary for sure. I mean, this card hates Disdainful Stroke, so that's the kind of thing you need to watch out for. Yep. But against anything except Counter Magic or maybe Board Wipes, this card does look pretty scary. So Exciting card. Take us into Beseju Who Endures. I think that this is one of the most exciting, this, like must-have cards in the set. This card is bazonkers. This, this is like the Luris that's going to just affect multiple formats, although it's not going to yeah. do it in the way that Luris did. Let's read the card. Yeah. Boseju, who endures as a legendary land that enters the battlefield untapped and taps for green mana. It's a rare. And it has the ability Channel. Channel is an old school ability that says you pay an, uh, an amount, you discard the card, and you get an effect. So for one in a green, you can discard Boseju, who endures. You can destroy artifact enchantment or non-basic land an opponent controls that player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type put it onto the battlefield then shuffle this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control I think they forgot to print a downside on this card. <laughs> Forest has been upgraded. <laughs> did, did I did I read that right? I think the only downside is that it's legendary. The downside but is like, the opponent gets to fetch a land if you blow up their cheap artifact enchantment or non-basic <laughs> land, but otherwise yeah. it would be truly insane and no one would ever play naturalize or disenchant ever again. Anyone who plays green in commander is rushing out to buy this card. In five to ten years, this card is probably going to cost like $60 on the used market. If it's not reprinted regularly in like all these commander decks, it's going to be more than that, I think. Uh, This has the makings of like a force of negation level of if you're going to play this color, you've got to have it. The extra special full art foil version is going to be over 100 bucks. This sees play in 
every format it's legal, right? This goes all the way back to vintage. At least one. Okay, so let's talk about some of the reasons this card is busted. First of all, it is not a spell. You can stifle it, but you can't counter it. This is like the world's best DFC because it comes down as a land with no downside. In Just a better forest on the battlefield. Think about all of the cards in Magic that return a land or permanent from the graveyard to your hand. Or search your library for a land and put it oh. in your hand. Oh, Just got I didn't really think upgraded. About that. I didn't even think about yep. that. Every commander deck with a Sylvan <laughs> Scrying has access to another Naturalize now if they need it. Oh my god. Uh, know, Nylea's Intervention in Historic and Historic Brawl. It's Boseju's World and we just live in it now. This card's really gonna change things. I think it's easy to overstate based on what's happened to Magic in the last few years, but at the same time, that's still a big deal. It's not gonna change things in the way that an Oko or a Luris did, where no. it's gonna make it certain cards just aren't played anymore. I don't think that Boseju removes all artifacts and enchantments from the meta because of the low opportunity cost of this disenchant. It reduces the amount of games that end because your opponent had something like an ensnaring bridge and you didn't happen to have an artifact kill in your deck. Like an artifact that takes over the game and you just have the wrong answer. As long as you have green in your deck, you may as well have one of these, at least. And probably two, so that you don't just lose to those permanent types, which is better for best of one play, which includes commander play. The opportunity cost is so low on this, right? So it, this is the kind of thing where, yeah, you can run one or two of these in your modern or legacy deck for basically no cost. And then you can put a couple more in your sideboard, right? If you happen to be playing against a deck that is really built around some problematic artifact or enchantment. And that is almost free. It does ramp your opponent. In 1v1 play, Assassin's Trophy isn't half as popular as it is in like four player play the nice thing about this card is let's say you draw an opening hand with two of these you can just play the first one out right yeah and then the, the second one becomes a disenchant let's not forget that non-basic land clause there are some formats that play urza saga yeah yeah, yeah this, saga, this straight right? up kills that yeah yeah this can just murder that card maybe you're not happy about it but maybe it stops you from dying to it and if you drew two of them you're going to feel pretty good about having a target yeah i think this is a card which it's going to be cool on arena don't get me wrong this is going to be really great on arena but like it's going to change some other formats We've said a lot of nice things about Key to the Archive. Screw Key to the Archive. Just <laughs> oh. blow it up, baby. Yeah, you're not going to feel great if you tap four mana. You get a card, but you have to discard a card. And then you just get it blown up and you get a land. Like, it's not going to feel that good. So, Especially yeah, this... if you can't cast the card you fetched. If you go through a lot of hoops to, like, get down your... Um... Great Henge and Historic, and then someone just both Sages it, it's going to feel real bad. Interesting thing is the basic land type line, because Pathways and Chill Lands don't have a basic land type, and neither do yeah. DFCs. There aren't that many basic lands in these decks. And in older formats, like you can go fetch a Breeding Pool, because it has a forest in the line. It's it, like we don't see this. Yeah, a basic usually. land type. Yeah, Not a basic correct. land, a basic land type. It's a little no, different. No, that's true. Your opponent could actually get a triome off of this. That's true, yeah. That would but. be fun. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah, this card is bazonkas, and I'm kind of blown away that they printed it. All right, let's talk about Surge Hacker Mech. This costs four colorless mana. It is an artifact vehicle at rare. It is a 5-5 when it is a creature, and it has menace. 
When Surge Hacker Mech enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to twice the number of vehicles you control to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, and it has crew four. Kind of flame tongue Kavu on a vehicle, essentially. Really interesting card design. It probably gets its money. Like, Menace is really hard to block. So if you do crew it, you're more likely to hit something. The damage going to a creature, like the idea of getting some removal out of it, if you have even one other vehicle, then you're dealing four damage to a thing with a four mana card. That is Flame Tongue Kavu. So in a vehicle theme deck, which definitely seems like the kind of thing they're pushing, and the reason I chose this card to show that this is something they care about, I think this will be a playable part of it. Like some people said, well, compare it to chariot chariot's better i'm like ah chariot does a lot of things but chariot doesn't reach over the board and kill stuff sometimes you've got to yeah. get things off the board and chariot's a little slow to do it i'm curious what surge hacker mech is going to do also worth noting that blinking it getting that ability multiple times is an option yeah, i thought it was worth throwing on the list you play this and then you play tezzeret the following turn that's gonna feel pretty good Turn it into a 5-5 five, five that just straight attacks with Menace, yeah. It's a card worth watching. Also, just kind of fanboy for a minute. There's mechs are yeah. a thing Freaking in the set. mechs in Magic. I mean, Woo! who doesn't like big robots? Final thing to just note, a Seeker's Chariot is a vehicle, a highly playable one at that, and a still fully armed and operational in Standard too. So in Standard specifically, like if they print any other vehicles, masses, cards that are actually good, then we could start to see like a pretty good vehicle stack. We, we're going to yeah. be going for rides. Secluded Courtyard. This is a land. It's an uncommon land, thank God. A secluded courtyard enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, and then you can tap it to add colorless mana, and then you can tap it to add one mana of any color, Spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or activate an ability or creature card of the chosen type. So isn't this a, a strict upgrade to what is that? Ancient Ziggurat. Ancient Ziggurat can tap for one mana of any color to cast a creature spell. This makes you choose the color. Oh, you have but, to choose the type. Or it makes you choose the type. You're right. You have to choose yeah. the type. So you can't play a total all kind of tribal zoo deck. You need to have some type in common. But Ancient Ziggurat, you couldn't tap for colorless mana. It just did nothing if you were trying to cast a non-creature. And this you can tap yeah. for colorless mana. And I put this on the list because I think it's going to be better than Forsaken Crossroads in decks mm. that want to curve out and play a lot of creatures. And for me, yeah. that means Alchemy Inquisitor Captain decks. I think all these two and three color Inquisitor Captain decks in Alchemy are going to run Secluded Courtyard because it just helps them cast so many of their creatures. It's going to go great in like those Selesnya Humans decks or Angels decks in Historic, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, very, very cool magic card. It's going to show up. It's going to be great. I'll grab the next one. This is what yeah. Umazawa lived for to cast right. this card. Invoke Despair appears to be part of a cycle, so this is fun, and it costs one black, 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 black. So five total mana, with four of it being black. It is a sorcery. It is rare, and it says target opponent sacrifices a creature. If they can't, they lose two life, and you draw a card. Repeat this process for an enchantment and a planeswalker. If they have nothing, this is five mana, lose six life, and I'll draw three cards. If they have one of these things, it's I'll draw two cards, you lose four life, and you lose the thing. And sometimes it's other things in between. This card is apparently a big wave coming out of the sewer and making everyone super despaired. Go on. 
if you saw a tidal wave of sewage approaching you, you would probably feel pretty despairing as well. I'd lose two life. You'd probably lose more life than that. Fairly powerful card. How good is it really? Really? How good is it really? I, How I don't is know. It? It's meta contextual. If the opponent's mm -hmm. going to play 10 creatures and you're not going to play Meat Hook Massacre, but you're going to cast this instead, you're going to regret your life's choices by a lot. It reminds me a little of Death Cloud, which was around when the last Kamigawa set was legal and standard. And there were times where you should not be Death Clouding when the opponent was playing cards that made a million green tokens. And there yep. were times when you should definitely be Death Clouding because the meta was revolving around Tron lands and a couple artifacts. Uh, Invoke yeah. Despair is going to have its moments, and I'm definitely going to play it and seek those moments like a junkie seeking a fix. But in general, I'd be surprised if it were a complete dud in its lifetime in Standard, and I think some kind of Invoke Despair deck at some point will hit hard. I'm going to cast Galvanic Iteration, and I'm going to cast this. Okay, I love it. <laughs> I'm going to invoke a lot of Despair. It's kind of what I do. I would love to see you put this in a deck that plays any other color. Be my guest, my friend. Dude, five color, invoke despair. We're going to uh, just play the world tree. It's going to be fine. Oh, it's going to be it's amazing. It's going to be amazing. Little, little, dare I say it, key to the archive action here. Do, do we have to talk about that with every card? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Because if you have two keys to the archive, you can cast this you in your blue-white deck. slam this, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's what I'm waiting to see, CGB. <laughs> that is the ultimate troll. It's so interesting, right? Because I'm trying to like come up with the scenario in which you cast this and you're just like yeah you know what i mean and it's kind of hard for me it's difficult to imagine that your opponent has only one good creature out and they happen to have an enchantment and a planeswalker in play okay it replaces itself you draw cards but you did pay five mana at sorcery speed for the pleasure this is a hard sell for me basically that's fine i understand but i'm i'm, I'm still with it we're gonna see what happens Tidal wave of sewage, it's just in the list. I just want to play a control deck that's going to kill all their things anyway. And then we're just going to win con with this. Four of these is you lose 24 life and I draw yep. 12 okay. cards. Easy. Win con acquired. Love win it. con acquired. <laughs> Mis also, misery acquired. by the way, black enchantment removal. You did raise this as a point, but each successive one of these that you cast is going to hurt your opponent a lot more. So oh, yeah. that's a good thing to know. Like if you start chaining these off, it is going to start to be really awful. The so, lower their yeah. life total, the better it is. Yeah. All right. This next one is pretty exciting. I think invoke calamity, uh, same cycle. One mm. red, red, red. This one is an instant. And that my friends is a world of difference. You may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying for that mana cost. If those spells would be put into your graveyard, exile them instead, exile invoke calamity. So this is like an instant speed finale of promise. It has some downsides that card doesn't have, but overall, like if you want to be finale of promising, this is a pretty good version of that card, I think. This card might go crazy. For one thing, just on the surface, assume you have a ton of good instants and sorceries in your deck that do cool things. You can invoke and cast another invoke if that is a thing you're interested in and have another one mana wow. left over to do something else and then go get two other things from your graveyard and so, so on. Like if okay. you self-mill, you could have multiple invokes in the graveyard and just keep going. So you're telling me that you could 
galvanic iteration. I was going to get to that. Yes. Play yes. Invan- invoke calamity and then hit off of your invoke calamity galvanic iteration and another invoke calamity. And then, my friends, I assume you win the game on the spot. I don't know what you're going to copy that many times for free and do with all that free mana value, but probably something. So Galvanic Iteration you hit on was one of the first things that I was like, oh, because it's good before it and it's good to hit off it. Either way, you can hit Galvanic Iteration and then you have any four or less mana value to play with to cast the other spell that you want to be copied by Galvanic Iteration when you cast Calamity. Or you can just Galvanic Iteration the Calamity and you use seven mana to get 12 mana worth of mana value from your invoke because you get to do it twice and it's from hand or graveyard yes if if those spells would be put into your graveyard exile them instead okay so the spells you cast yourself get exiled but if you cast a card draw spell then you can then play some of the cards from your copy that you did with the iteration on the next round or discard them and play them from the graveyard and there's got to be something for example you can invoke Calamity and use five of it to cast Invoke Despair. And if you just storm off enough, you just kill them. I mean, think about it. Doesn't that sound kind of fun? And we haven't seen all of the cycle, of course. But right now, just the two invokes together, hit things hit right with Galvanic Iterations, leave a, your opponent dead. That alone is a bit of a fun dream to build around and chase. Let's say you're playing a Rakdos deck and you just really need to blot on the snow on turn five instead of on turn six, you can do that with this card. It doesn't feel good, but if that's the thing that's keeping you from losing the game next turn, it's going to feel great. This can actually, in a weird way, just be like a weird ramp spell, right? So yeah, this is like a worse Iron Crag feat, but if you need it to be that, it's total mana value of six or less. This could fill in that role in a janky way if you needed it to. No, I'm not saying it's worse than that card. I'm just saying that in that particular situation, it might... It might kind of fill in that role. I'm totally with you, dude. This card, the more I think about it, the more I read it, the more I look at that little instant in the line. I'm legit terrified this card. This is making me wonder, like, was the problem really Galvanic Iteration all along? We're going to find out, I think, because uh, this screams build around. We don't need to go there again, but how about this with anything from Key to the Archive at all? Other than, I guess, Approach of the Second Sun. (laughs) You can cast your Time Warp again from the graveyard in alchemy. Like, why not? Let's go. (laughs) Yikes. Another thing to note, speaking of extra turn spells, could this be the card that makes that Alchemist Gambit playable? Oh, wait a minute. Now, you're not going to get the kicker on it, right? Yeah, it's really risky. But it's the kind of thing where how many extra turns do you need if you're playing like some bonkers spell combo deck? And here's the other thing, right? Is like, so you can cast the front side of Alchemist's Gambit off of half of this, and then you use the other three mana to do something else. Yep. All I'm saying is like, it's not that hard for me to connect the dots between this going into some kind of Alchemist's Gambit like combo deck to just be like a a two turn kill, right? Yeah, I, I need to look through basically... The, the list of all of the instants or sorceries we have in Standard and Alchemy and all the ones that are going to get printed, including like lessons from Strixhaven and stuff like that. And then it's like you just try to put together what all can you do? You can probably do a lot. Yep. Very, very cool <laughs> card and might end up being broken. All right, CGB, hit us with this next one. So Kenzen 
Crucible of Defense is another card with very little downside and why the heck not type potential to be everywhere. This uh, is a legendary land. It's a rare. It taps for red. And channel, you can pay three and a red to discard this land and create two 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature tokens. They gain haste until end of turn. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Why not play one? One is free. Free, 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 free. Yep. Unless, I don't know, Snowlands, but Faceless Haven got banned in Standard and nerfed in Alchemy, so Snowlands ain't what they used to be. I had a few people be like, well, this isn't any good as compared to Boseju. Sometimes you just deal two damage and win. Ramanop Ruins was pretty good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Mono Red plays two of these easy. Mono Red might play four of these, depending on what the deck looks like. This card has very little downside. If you play one, it has no downside. If you play two, it probably doesn't have much of a downside. Uncounterable instant speed, the two creatures. Think yep. about historic and think about the invoke creativity. End of your turn, I'll just make these nerds and then on my turn, I'll turn them both into giant threats. So that's just a fun combo that you can do in historic. Does Zerda the Dawn Waker reduce the cost of this effect? Zerda is a legendary creature and then Zerda itself it also, I believe says permanent, right? If it does, yeah. then it's only one red for the two one ones. I mean, I guess that's juicy. Okay, this is my question. Let's say there's something that says activated abilities on lands you control is reduced. Like, do they have to be in play or can they be in your hand? Uh, good question. I yeah. think in play, but now I'm not sure. I think channel is, besides it's like an ability, I don't know if it reduces the same way. It's like an option yeah. to cast it. I don't know. Yeah. Judge. I'd be interested. Same thing applies from what we said about Boseju, where now anything yeah. that gets a land back from the graveyard or draws a land or searches your library for a land and puts in your hand, now you have this new option to make creatures. Also, yeah. uh, a big deal if you play the Aluna Omniscience Historic Brawl combo deck as much as I do. Oh, here's another thing we didn't mention. Any effect that returns lands to your hand, play yeah. it on turn one as a land, later in the game you get it back as a spell, basically. Yeah, modern, so. that's uh, Ren and Six is a, a big one for that for you paper boomers. I mean, cards great. Probably not going to see cross format play quite like the green one will, but it's still an absolutely unbelievable. And in standard and alchemy, why not play one? You should probably have one in every deck that would have a mountain. Yeah, red control deck should play one. I mean, the two blockers at freaking instant speed. Terrifying. Uh, next card here, March of Otherworldly Light. This is X and a white instant speed. Rare spell. As an additional cost to cast the spell, you may exile any number of white cards from your hand. Oh, okay. This Whee! is interesting. Mind twist <laughs> myself. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> the spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. And you can exile target artifact, creature, or an enchantment with mana value X or less. This is kind of getting us into the territory of, it's not quite the same, but you know that cycle of free. It's a cycle in modern and their creatures. They have the force of will. The incarnations. Creating, the incarnations. That's what they are, right? Okay. So this is like incarnation at home. Ah, uh, they strike me as shoals, which were in the original Kamigawa. It feels like a uh, shoal okay. throwback where you had to or exile a card from your hand to cast this like shoal thing, and the value of the X was equal to the mana value of what you discarded. Got it. Yeah, okay, very never, boomer. I've never played with those. Very yeah. old. The yeah. good ones I were mean, banned really fast. <laughs> it's a very versatile removal spell. It's an exile effect, which is very nice. And you don't have to go down cards to play this. 
And the option to go down cards to play, this is kind of icing on the cake. And it's basically like a fireball. So I actually, the more I look at this card, the more I like it. I think this, depending on the shape of the format, this could end up being an absolute staple. It answers a number of permanent types that are hard to answer with just creature removal. Artifacts and enchantments sometimes hang out over there on the battlefield and slip through the cracks when you're having to focus so much of your control or in aggro or mid-range removal suite on creatures. So the flexibility is really good. If you are really turned off by the idea of exiling a card from your hand to trade it up on mana, then just think of how nice it will be when you exile a creature land for one white mana. That's going to be very good. That feels good. Uh, any token as well. I Yeah, the more I think about this, just going straight into any of your white control decks, right? I think this might have a place as a one or two of in every kind of white control deck, but I think it also might have a place as a one or two of in every aggressive strategy where cards getting stranded in your hand and then getting exiled so that you can kill stuff is kind of a big deal. Emiria's call, yeah, let's talk about the modal DFCs that you can exile to this. You can't pitch a land to it, but you can pitch an Emiria's call. Those kind of things aren't very useful to you when you're trying to close out the game if you don't have the mana to cast them, but if you can pitch it to this and exile their blocker and get in for lethal, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. That's true. Or even like, let's say you have like a Legion Angel in your hand and you're just looking at your lands and the shape of your hand and you're like, good one. Boy, I'm not going to cast this anytime soon. Uh, a lesson yeah. you learned? Yeah. Oh, I like the way you think, CGB. That's a wombo combo right there. And another thing, like, you could just get freaking got with this card. There's gotcha potential written all over this. Like, your opponent has one white mana up and you slam, like, your six cost big flashy thing or whatever, and your opponent just exiles, like, a bunch of cards from their hand and gets rid of it. I, uh, I like it, and I might actually end up hating it. I think this will catch some people by surprise. I think it's a good closer. All right, so do you want to take us into the next one in this cycle? I'll try to. Uh, we don't have the full translation yet. It's called Joyful Procession, but it's clearly part of the cycle, so I am tentatively calling it the March of Otherworldly Joy. <laughs> it's the red one. It's red in an X for an instant at rare. The same kind of exile thing. You may exile red cards from your hand to reduce the cost by two for each exiled card, and it says exile the top X cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play up to two of those cards. At first, you read it as kind of light up the stage at home but then maybe it comes to your mind that if you just it's late game and you have a ton of mana and on the opponent's end step you want to put like five or six mana into this you can or you can play it early in the game and just exile a card that's not useful or a spike field hazard or a lesson like we talked about to make it be literal light up the stage you can do that too uh what do you think this to me reads as a combo card like imagine playing this in like a buggy deck or something that's kind of what it makes me think of. Okay. In the kind of decks where you just really need to go through your deck, find the right stuff, a deck that manages to make a ton of mana on one turn. So in any deck, which is like making a ton of mana and drawing a bunch of cards and just trying to like chew through your deck and get something done, this is going to be a really cool card for that. How does this stack up? You pay one red mana, you exile another card in your hand, and you get an X equals two. That's like a two for two. But if you exile another card in your hand then you get access to look up four cards for one red mana yeah so it scales from there if you have the ability to play a bunch of cards at once well no you can only play two oh that's true okay mm -hmm. yeah so i like it best for trying to find combo pieces basically i don't know i think burn is still gonna wanna 
get just enough mm-hmm. burn spells. And when you think about digging for burn spells, the idea of late in the game just casting this for like X equals five or X equals six and going six deep and trying to find two lightning bolts because you put them there with that silly hasty alchemy guy. <laughs> it seems yeah. like it would actually um, work out a good amount of the time that you could get what you need. Yeah, and anything that cares about your storm count is going to be really happy to see this card. Oh, that's so, true. Actually, the more I think about it, play this card in a burgy deck and just go off. It's going to feel really fun. Cool. How about Tatsunari? No, I'm going to read it. You have to do the one after it. Okay. I'm not reading that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll bring it up right now and get prepared. (laughs) I'm going to read Tatsunari Toad Rider, which is two and a black for a legendary human ninja at rare. It's a 3-3. And whenever you cast an enchantment spell, if you don't control a creature named Kimi, Create Kimi, a legendary 3-3 black and green frog creature token. With the ability, whenever you cast an enchantment spell, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. For one, and a hybrid green-blue, for whatever reason, Tatsunari Toad Rider and target frog you control can't be blocked this turn except by creatures with flying or reach. And I brought this up because as long as you have an enchantment... And there seem to be a lot in this set, including enchantment creatures. As long as you have an enchantment to follow up the Toad Rider, you get that 3-3. And that's a lot of output for a three-mana card. And a lot of abilities, and it's evasive. So this is actually kind of terrifying, right? You play this on three. Yes. On four, you play like any of the two-mana saga. Any enchantment, yeah. And then if you have access to green or blue mana, you can just crack for six. And your frog has that ability that any more enchantments you play, the opponent loses one life and you gain one life. If you play the life of Umezawa, you can give up plus two, plus two as well. So you could just kind of like solo your opponent with unblockable The frog doesn't have haste. Say you crack with the frog, you crack with the toad rider. If the frog that you created that turn gets into combat like as a blocker and dies, the next enchantment you play will make a new frog. Just get another one. Apart from the fact that it's like a 3-3 a three, three for 3 that doesn't do anything when it hits the battlefield, you're right. Like This card is full of possibility, plenty of value. I mean, crap, even if you don't have a frog, just having a 3-3 three, three that you can make unblockable, that can end games pretty fast by itself. It's a thing. It's kind of a meme card, and it requires yeah. kind of a mid-range format that shapes up in an interesting way where maybe the opponent can't remove this as easily as they'd like to, or your enchantments are so cheap that playing this and an enchantment the same turn yeah. makes sense. Like this and Akaya's ghost form sound particularly fun to me if they reprint something like that. Flash enchantments are Sweet Ooh, there you go. This is kind of a an interesting Sultai commander because of that hybrid cost in the activated mm-hmm. ability that seems really random. But mm-hmm. if you haven't Sultai commandered in a minute and you want to be a Toad Rider, like this is kind of cool. If you have any kind of way to like cascade off and cast a bunch of enchantment spells, I don't know, some weird I also, combo. I think Yatrog Monster is also a frog horse, so you can make it unblockable. Uh, or semi-unblockable. Wow. <laughs> We're really doing it. Very flavorful card. It's also just one of the weirdest magic cards ever printed, so you got to give it props for that. I hope it's a representative of the flavor of the set to come. It's just kind of a little bit silly, but a little bit good and a little bit scary yeah. all at the same time. Yeah, and these are the kind of cards that like someone out there is just going to fall desperately in love with Tatsunari and like build a commander deck and foil it all out, and their life is going to be complete because this card was printed. Which is really what we're going for in Magic. So A plus 
to that flavor. Someone else is going to feel completed by this next card, which CGB would have felt too ashamed to read on the podcast. So nope. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Go Shintai of shared purpose. Go Shintai yourself, Kovac Koblu. I'm going to shint all over you and this card. <laughs> <laughs> this card does have a lot of shint in it, doesn't it? It's a legendary enchantment creature shrine which is interesting. It's at Uncommon. It's a 1-3 Vigilance, and at the beginning of your end step, you may pay 1 colorless mana. If you do, create a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token for each shrine you control. The main reason I wanted to read this is just that it's a shrine creature. So for all of you shrine gamers, you now have another shrine to put in your shrine deck. That's, that's the tweet. The, that's the tweet. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yay. Shrines are alive. Um, They're alive, guys. This is what I'm asking, though. Does this mean that Shrine is now a creature type? I think it does. So I, you can I, name I, it with your unclaimed territory-like yeah, card and your yeah, vanquishing yeah. banner and... Uh, Metallic mimic and all oh, that kind of stuff. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, Arjuna. This, I hate this Shrines. This gets added to the list for like Witch's Vengeance and stuff. So oh. now you can name Shrine. <laughs> I don't expect a lot of these to hit the battlefield, but uh, it's interesting. I think that so, they took away the coolest thing about Shrines, which is that you got the free trigger every turn. That was the promise of Shrines. And this you have to pay for it. You get a bunch of free creatures. A bunch? It's a four mana, one three. And well, if you pay and one five mana, then you get a 1-1 one, one on its own. And if you've been playing Shrines every turn for the entire game, you get like three or four 1-1s. One, you paid four mana for this. That's not a payoff to me. I'm not Dude, impressed. Getting like three to five 1-1s one, for one mana every turn. Should have been free. CGB's not It should have been I free. Mean, the card is bad enough that I agree. Maybe there's like a reasonable Shrines deck in the limited format and they didn't want this to be like absolutely busted in that so and bust you know limited like, nobody cares yeah, just bust yeah, it no one cares about that little <laughs> format he's safe making that quip on this particular podcast but tread carefully cgb there are some ninjas out there who might not take very well to your comments one thing that i'm kind of excited about is that all signs point to this being a rainbow deck I mean, sorry, not deck, set is, is what I'm trying to say. They're really pushing rainbow themes hard. Like there's going to be obviously one creature shrine of each color here. They have all this different stuff. And A of all, I'm hoping it's going to be a really satisfying limited format where you can just play all of this crap. <laughs> CGB's waiting for it. And B of all, maybe we're going to get like some sweet lands that make a lot of different colors of mana. Maybe we're going to be able to play some really fun multicolor archetypes in constructed. So I really hope that it delivers on the promise of that because it's been a while since we've had one of these just go nuts, make a bunch of different colors of mana kind of, of sets, right? I think the last one was Ikaria. And what's the next set after this one? It's the tri-color themed set of Streets of New Caperna, where people were already expecting the friendly colored triumphs Ooh. to make an appearance. We could be entering a time when three color decks are just like normal in the format and if that were the case that would be good for everyone in my opinion i feel like there's a lot of good stuff being signposted in this set and overall for me like as a flavor wise it's an a plus 
play mechanics wise there's a lot of super powerful stuff with none of it looking like gut wrenchingly busted what i'm seeing cgb is what just looks like a very fun and very interesting magic set coming up well i think that what we need is a new cranial extraction which was in the original kamigawa so that a card like hullbreaker horror or another all runs epiphany type thing doesn't completely dominate and put a cap on everything that tries to be mid-range and then we'll be good i, I think we'll have an interesting format for sure you know just ban galvanic iteration and then we can all have fun except for Kovac go blue thanks for sticking with us through that crafties that was very fun next week i don't think we're going to be doing card reviews but the week after that might be the complete set review gosh i have to actually check it might well, be all out because it's going to come out on february 10th we have a special guest for next week's show so we won't be doing the full spoiler thing but uh the set after that will be the complete review so let's look forward to that and in the meantime, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us in all of the usual podcasty places. You can also watch this on Kovaco Blue's YouTube channel, which is back in business, baby. He's back and better than ever. You can catch Kovaco Blue streaming live regularly on Twitch. You can cast me streaming sporadically on Twitch. Of course, we also have a Patreon. So anyone who is enjoying the content, feel free to stop by and start supporting us for as little as $2.99 USD every single month. We really appreciate that. Finally, wanted to shout out our Discord, which is a cool place where famous people hang out and you can rub elbows with them. So go and find out what I'm talking about. All right, CGB, um, until next time, unless there is no next time, because you've turned into a ninja, I salute you. Later, crafties. Later, crafties.